0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Thank you for joining us again. You're welcome, Kyle. We always like to start with the Angelus. Do you have an intention for us? Yes, I do. You know, we're
1: only a few days from Christmas, and I've been thinking about when I'm praying about um, Mary and Joseph, their travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, mm-hmm. and how there was no room in the inn, and... um especially to think about those people who are refugees in the world today, millions of people, and you think about how there's no place for them, no mm-hmm. room in the inn. So I think it's good at this time of Christmas to, to remember all those who are without homes or in refugee camps or who are not being welcomed, like Mary and Joseph were not welcomed. So let's pray for them today. Yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou thou among women, women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother Mother of of God, God, pray pray for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour hour of our our death. death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus
0: holy mary mother
1: of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode of Truth and Charity, Bishop Kevin Rhodes talks about the St. Vincent de Paul Society, a special apostolate devoted to serving the poor, plus the inauguration mass for Indiana Tech's new president, and then it's on to different cultural traditions for celebrating the days right before Christmas. The show wraps up with questions submitted by listeners. If you would like to submit a question for a future show or check out previous episodes, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop.
0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we have a lot of things that have been happening this month and and some things that are coming up. So I thought maybe we could just kind of run through some of those things. One of the things that caught my attention when looking at your schedule is the annual Vincentian Mass and dinner. Oh, yes.
1: Um, Earlier in Advent, I had uh, every year I have a special Mass in both South Bend and Fort Wayne sides of the diocese for the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Uh I think a lot of our people are familiar with St. Vincent de Paul Society because so many of our parishes have local conferences where they help the poor and the needy. And I'm really a big supporter because it's a great spirituality of St. Vincent. And also, we have so many of our people who, who volunteer their time. And their money and their and are so generous, uh, especially when you think about this time of the year. What a great way to uh, to prepare for Christmas is is assisting the needy in our own communities. Mm-hmm. So when I have the masses this year, I had at uh, on the South Bend side, I had a mass at St. Pius the Tenth in Granger, and then we had a potluck dinner afterwards. And then in Fort Wayne at St. Mary's. Mother of God Parish, we had a uh, a morning mass and then a breakfast. So, what I focused on in my homily in both of these masses was that this is the four hundredth anniversary of the charism of Saint Vincent de Paul. Oh, and wow. uh, and when we say the anniversary of his charism, it's uh, basically when you look back in the history, in the year sixteen seventeen, really is is the year that we kind of mark when St. Vincent founded what were called the Confraternities of Charity to help those who were in need. That was the kind of the beginning, but then it developed into a religious congregation, the Vincentians, an uh, order of priests, technically it's called the Congregation of the Mission. Hmm. And then a an order for religious women called the Daughters of Charity, and actually that was co-founded by St. Louise de Marillac so we speak of the vincentian family because what began in 1617 kind of grew and developed in different directions these religious congregations but then also lay people involved in service of the poor and it was really 200 years after that that a young frenchman a layman by the name of frederick Ozenam, founded what we know today as the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. It wasn't founded by St. Vincent de Paul, it was 200 years later by this young man in Paris who um, and, and to read a biography of him, it's, it's really what, what an inspiration he is. He's been beatified, he's Blessed Frederick Ozanam. So really, the St. Vincent de Paul societies as we know them today, even though they have their distant roots in St. Vincent de Paul himself, it was Blessed Frederick Ozanam who, who started what we call the first conferences of this society. Mm-hmm. What is beautiful about this, in my opinion, is it's not just social work as important as social work is this has a whole spirituality the vincentian spirituality hmm. and there are several vincentian saints the spirituality is basically the gospel i mean it's it's seeing jesus in in uh, every poor person the least of our brothers and sisters and it's not just providing material assistance saint vincent and blessed frederick it was all about showing real love for the poor and friendship with the poor. So rather than just, for example, in our own St. Vincent de Paul societies, giving someone clothes or food or furniture, whatever, but it's also entering into a relationship with Mm -hmm. them, uh, personal care and compassion. And that's what's so beautiful about this apostolate. You know what, I'd really like to see more young people get involved especially young adults. When I celebrate these masses, there's some young people, but a lot are older people who I'm so grateful for. And of course, some people who are retired have more time to do this. But I wanna make sure that St. Vincent de Paul Society continues to be strong. And and, uh, so any young adult listeners or others to look into this. It's it's really a beautiful thing. And and I just wanna say how grateful I am to all the members of st vincent de paul society throughout our diocese because there are a lot so it all goes back really to um to the gospel it's just the charism that gave birth to this wonderful vincentian family was really 400 years ago this year
0: well and because of the relationships that the society has with different people probably a good place to go to contact if you have some extra free time or uh, are in charge of a youth group or something like that, or you want to take your family and do like once a month, we're going to go help somebody. They would know who to plug you in with, with who needs what kind of help. And maybe you could go to their house or uh, do something at a, at, thrift store or something like that to help out so right right it's great for
1: families and i know some families who do that you know one of the things that the st vincent de paul society does is the home visits which are really important it's not just where you establish something that the poor come to us for example a a food pantry or Mm -hmm. whatever that st vincent de paul has but also we go out to them right in these home visits and also in in those home visits you kind of find out well what what are the needs you know and then we try to do what we can to help them another way people can support saint vincent de paul besides monetary donations which is a great thing and always needed but shopping at the thrift stores Mm -hmm. because the proceeds from the thrift stores goes to support the the mission and of course there are many people who do donate things to the thrift stores I'm always donating things, because, uh, but when I donate my clothes and stuff, my clerical clothes, I don't know who's going to buy those. <laughs> right. Maybe if, if any of our priests shop at the thrift right. stores, yeah. they can buy Bishop Rhodes' old black shirts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the collars, yeah. Yeah, and I've talked with people that do those home visits, and they say how important prayer is as part of their mission is that some of these people, yes, they have physical needs, but also spiritual needs, and so to be able to provide that exactly. is Exactly.
1: There's the poverty of spirit as well as material poverty, and the suffering that's involved can also be even greater. Sometimes people with suffering from mental illness, sometimes people suffering from addictions, Every person has their own story, mm-hmm. and um, if we can bring some joy and love into uh, people's lives, and and one thing is we receive so much from the people we serve. Sure, you know that's what's so beautiful is it's not just giving; it's also receiving. So really, it does express what we're what we're celebrating with Christmas. You know, the Son of God became man; He emptied Himself. In the incarnation was born in poverty there was no room in the inn born in the stable so our lord himself when he began his public ministry spoke of the spirit of the lord being upon him and that he's sent by the father
0: to preach the good news to the poor and that's the church's perennial mission yeah Well, I got to be honest, I wasn't very surprised to see that on your schedule. It makes sense that you would be there. One thing I didn't expect to see on your schedule was an inauguration mass of Indiana Tech's new president, which is a public university. Maybe I would expect that at Notre Dame or University of St. Francis or Holy Cross. uh, But this was for the new president at Indiana Tech. So how did that come about? Well, Dr. Carl Einolf is
1: the new president and he comes to fort wayne from mount st mary's university oh, okay. so and of course the mount is very dear to me and i was the rector at the seminary there so i've known carl for years okay and his wife maria and they have two sons so last summer When I heard he was selected by the Board of Trustees of Indiana Tech to be the new president, I was really surprised and and really happy. And Carl had written to me, and I thought, here's another person from Mount St. Mary's moving to Indiana. Uh And I always point out, and I did this in the homily at the mass for Carl's inauguration as president, that really the first bishop in the state of Indiana came from Mount St. Mary's. So... Bishop Simon Brute, Uh when the Diocese of Vincennes, that's the first diocese in Indiana, was established in 1834, the first bishop chosen, and and the diocese covered the whole state, Hmm. was Bishop Brute from Mount St. Mary's. And by the way, he was a very holy priest. He was the spiritual director of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Um, In Emmitsburg. He was kind of like a co-founder of Mount St. Mary's. The real founder was Father John Dubois, who was also French. Father Brute was French. Father uh, Dubois later became a bishop of New York. So he left the Mount and went to New York. And um, Father Brute was then appointed by the Pope as, as Bishop of Vincennes. Actually, I've been to the cathedral, the old cathedral in Vincennes. To pray at his tomb it's in the crypt of the old cathedral there okay so there's this uh tradition of people from mount st mary's coming to serve the church in, yeah in indiana so i said to carl at the inauguration and he already knew of course that that father brute had become bishop brute uh-huh. come to indiana and then i said we share this we're, we're all coming from the mount and uh to serve in indiana the other thing um is, that's where our seminarians are studying for the priesthood. They right. do their theology or pre-theology at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, which is part of Mount St. Mary's University. Dr. Einolf, by the way, is a great man, a, very, very, uh, a man of real faith and um, a great personality. He's going to be a really wonderful leader at Indiana Tech. He's already been welcomed with open arms and... I think the students and the community at Indiana Tech are real excited to have him as their leader. He's just a very good man. So I'm glad he's going to be. He's already joined a parish. He's, uh-huh. He joined um, St. Charles Parish in Fort Wayne, which is also another Mount Connection. Okay. Because the associate pastor, newly ordained, Father Dennis D. Benedetto, sure. was a student at Mount St. Mary's University before he was ever a seminarian, uh-huh. so he knew Carl as well. Another connection, now he's a priest of our diocese, Right. another connection, one of the cloistered nuns in Fort Wayne, the uh, poor sisters of St. Clair, uh-huh. Sister Carolyn Grace was a college, was a student at Mount St. Mary's and knew Dr. Einolf. <laughs> so it's really neat to see the connections. And Indiana Tech is a very, very good inst- institution. And, of course, I've been, I've been there a few times for other events. Mm-hmm. We have some campus ministry there. Our Franciscan Friars minor visit and do campus ministry every week. Uh-huh. There are um, occasional Masses celebrated there. As a matter of fact, I think in January, January or February, I'll be there to celebrate Mass for the oh. Catholic students okay. uh, and, and Catholic faculty who are
0: there. Well, I'm feeling a little left out that I didn't go to Mount St. Mary's. You're really <laughs> making me jealous of all the connections here. Uh, another thing that happened was our Rejoice Women's Retreat, and you were a part of that. You did some Eucharistic adoration there.
1: Yeah, that was really beautiful. You know,
0: we, there were like 130 some women
1: of the diocese Great. who did a weekend retreat at the Retreat Center at Lindenwood mm-hmm. in uh, Donaldson. And that's at the uh, mother house of the poor handmaids of jesus christ they have one of the most beautiful chapels in the whole diocese if if listeners ever want to go and visit it is a beautiful chapel and that's where we had about an hour and a half of adoration and prayer before the blessed sacrament Mm -hmm. and during that time i i gave two talks I did Alexio Divina, mm-hmm. a, a meditation on the prologue of St. John. Huh. So I spoke probably, well, in the two homilies, two reflections, I went through the prologue verse by verse. The prologue of John's gospel is so rich, so deep, and profound. It's a great passage to read. At this time of the year as well but uh, it's chapter 1 of john's gospel verses 1 to 18 Hmm. and um, i always say when people ask me bishop what do you think is the most important verse in the whole bible and without hesitation i'll say john chapter 1 verse 14 Hmm. so that's part of the prologue where we read and the word became flesh and dwelt among us which of course we just repeated when we prayed the angelus right
0: is that the the part that uh there's darkness and light came into darkness that's right yes and
1: remember it begins like the book of genesis begins with the words in the beginning yes john writes in verse one in the beginning was the word and the word was with god Mm -hmm. and the word was god well you know what you can use that verse in prayer just that verse when you think about it um before the universe was created for all eternity was the word and of course the word became flesh the word being capital w being the son the second person of the most holy trinity saint john makes it clear that that everything was created through him by the way the gospel with the prologue of john is read in masses of christmas day Mm. a lot of people go to Christmas mass on Christmas Eve so they don't get to hear that but there are actually four different Christmas masses there's the vigil mass there's midnight mass or mass at night then there's an early morning Christmas mass and then there's a mass for during the day the prologue of John's gospel is the gospel for that mass during the day because each of those four Christmas masses has a different gospel so if you go to the vigil it's the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. If you go the night of Christmas Eve, then it's the, the famous Luke account of the Nativity, which is where the angels appeared to the shepherds, and et cetera. Then the early Christmas morning mass is, is the Gospel about the shepherds, but uh, later. And then, as I said, the prologue of John in the uh, mass of the day.
0: Well, how often do you have a retreat for yourself or go on a retreat? Once a year,
1: because priests and bishops are required to make an annual retreat. Now, we have a priest retreat every year, and I always attend that retreat. But often I don't count that as my my bishop's retreat, so to Uh speak, because there's also an annual retreat for bishops of the region. Hmm. I kind of miss having... I wish I had more opportunities for like a just a a silent private retreat. Yeah. Um, It's hard to get the time on my schedule because I have these other retreats which are more (laughs) group retreats. But I do love the time of like a silent
0: personal retreat. Yeah. Any tips for somebody that's thinking about going on a retreat or discerning like what kind of a retreat or where do i find a retreat for me to go on i highly recommend i mean retreats
1: like the women who were at that retreat at lindenwood shared with me how wonderful it was just to step away from their ordinary life and Hmm. some of the women had uh you know were mothers with small children and all that yeah and we were joking because their husbands the dads had all the responsibilities (laughs) of the weekend when they were on retreat so they they might have been pulling their hair out and the <laughs> and maybe came to appreciate their wives more right. after that but uh no i i think it's good to check out what what retreats are available i would always say sometimes you'll find in some places retreats that are not that great so you have to be careful mm-hmm. of the kind of retreat you want to make sure it's 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 christ centered sure that it's going to be a quality retreat especially if you're taking the time right you want to make sure it's quality but you know people can also do their own retreat. That's something that, um, like, I I love to do, as I mentioned, even if it's just for a couple days or a day, where you just bring the scriptures and bring the rosary, and sometimes you get some good CDs of spiritual talks. Hmm. You know, it's always possible to even do your own. It's helpful, too, to have a a spiritual director, if possible, someone who maybe you could um, talk over things during the retreat. That's always a good thing. My favorite style of retreat is um, the eight-day Ignatian retreat, St. Ignatius of Loyola. but And that requires a spiritual director. So you're really directed, and you spend four hours a day in prayer, and the director gives you scriptures to reflect on and meditate on, and that's a beautiful opportunity. It's also good, if you have the opportunity on retreat, to go to confession, mm-hmm. to find a priest to go to confession. The word retreat it's kind of like stepping back you know and it's not centered in self although there is certainly an examination of one's own life that can happen during a retreat but it's always in the light of christ it's always focused on the person of christ sure
0: all right well coming up we're going to have more conversation about things that have been happening around the diocese and questions that have been submitted by you right here on truth and charity with bishop rhodes brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And we're talking about things that have been happening this month around the diocese. And one of them that caught my eye was the Filipino Simbang Gabi Mass, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but at uh, St. Little Flower in South Bend. What is that all about? Well, we celebrated that on the um, weekend of the third
1: Sunday of Advent, uh-huh. Gaudete Sunday. This is the first time I've ever been to or celebrated the Gabi mass Back home I you know we didn't have any Filipino community in any of the parishes but in uh, South Bend we do and they have this Simbengabi, uh mass it really the Filipino custom it's very very similar to what we find in Spanish and Latin American Christmas preparations celebrations which is basically a novena in the nine days before Christmas. It's very popular in Spanish and Latin American and Filipino communities to have these nine days of celebration that culminate Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I was really familiar with the, uh, especially because of my priestly ministry in predominantly Puerto Rican communities, what we call the Misas de Aguinaldo, and that was 9 the nine days before Christmas. Very early in the morning, there would be these masses. Kind of going back to a, the more ag- agrarian society where farmers would get up real early. And in Mexico, the, the posadas, which is also nine days. I'll talk about that later, I think. Okay. But the Simbangabi is, is very similar to that. And um, the Filipino community gets together to... Celebrate! It used to be very, very early in the morning, but I think in in a lot of places it's more flexible because of you know different culture now. So, like the mass I had at Saint Teresa Little Flower Parish was Mm -hmm. was uh, early evening, the Saturday evening of the third Sunday of Advent. But the origin is back in the Philippines. It would be quite a celebration. The church bells would ring. There'd be a band. People would walk to Mass and they would sing and they'd make these colorful lanterns of paper and bamboo and hang them in their windows. So there was a whole <laughs> joyful atmosphere. Yeah. And then they'd gather in the, for Mass. And then after Mass, in their homes, they would have special food, special Christmas delicacies. So it was really um, a way to really prepare for the celebration of christmas it's a real uh, beautiful expression of the faith of the filipino people as i said it, it originated very with these very early morning masses by the way they call that in spanish the misa de gallo okay the mass of the rooster huh and uh basically the misa de gallo for christmas is is the early morning mass or even the midnight mass i guess Uh (laughs) Uh, but then that term is also used for these masses in the uh the nine days leading up to christmas and you know that novena which we're involved in right now i love these nine days before christmas because each mass has beautiful prayers beautiful readings Mm -hmm. that are a way to enter into the celebration of christmas so for example the gospels are all about those from the first, uh, for example, the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, then John the Baptist's birth, the Annunciation to Mary, and then Mary's visit to her cousin Elizabeth, and then another gospel one of the, is is that of the Magnificat. So each of these days before Christmas were kind of leading up to the climax, the birth of our Lord himself. Mm -hmm. But back to the tradition of the Simbangabi, I'm so glad that it's continuing among the immigrants from the Philippines to the United States, just as the Puerto Ricans and the Mexicans and other South Americans, and Central Americans, bring their customs with them because they really are great customs. Part of this celebration of... um, Of the simbangabi is um oftentimes the people will will dress in their native clothes the children would be very much involved they'd have the nativity scene which they called the belen displayed with the shepherds and farm animals and the wise men so it really is focusing on the, the true meaning of Christmas. So anyhow, I encourage everyone to um, really make these days before Christmas focused on the true meaning of Christmas. And it's great to see the customs of our parishioners who come from Latin America and the Philippines. And even if there's an opportunity to share in their customs. At the end of the uh, the masses that they have, whether it be, or the posadas for the Mexicans, there's always food, <laughs> yeah. you know? And um, that's great because it, there's special, like Christmas delicacies, special sure. pastries, and, yeah. and all of that, which makes it a very festive occasion. And we had a wonderful meal after the mass of the Gabi with uh, Filipino foods and everything. It was great. Uh-huh. And so you mentioned the uh, Las Posadas. What yes. does that stand for? Posada is a, a Spanish word which means inn, or you know there was no place for them in the inn, so it's a uh, it's an inn. So las uh-huh. posadas, and the tradition in Mexico is that again for that novena, those nine consecutive days before Christmas, they would have what are called the posadas. They reenact Mary and Joseph going and knocking the do- on the door of of the inn, the mm-hmm. lodging and the person inside, so the Mexicans will do this, and they'll go to, um, they'll have this all organized and planned, and they'll, uh, different homes Mm -hmm. on different days of the week, each of the nine days, and people will be dressed, there'll be someone dressed as Mary, someone dressed as Joseph. They would knock on the door, and the person inside will shout out, go away, there's no room. Uh And they'll keep doing that several times until, finally, someone says, yes, welcome and then they go in and they have a big celebration. So they have food you know and they'll have the piñatas and everything so the children are involved, families are involved. Some places they do this kind of in neighborhoods. It's organized by the people themselves. Sure. Especially in Mexico but also we have parishes that organize this even right here in our own diocese. Some places they'll have masses connected to Las Posadas. Mm -hmm. Again it's it varies from place to place sometimes they really go all out so they'll have i mean i've even been to one where they had a little donkey with uh (laughs) with mary and joseph which was Uh really neat and you know they'll decorate everything people sometimes will be carrying candles and they have special songs that they sing at this time special uh hymns that they sing christmas hymns really and this is also in puerto rico where they have the misas de aguinaldo and again, it's kind of very, very similar. Sometimes they'll have l- the little children dressed up as shepherds during this whole thing. Uh-huh. They'll do prayers. They'll do um, songs, as I said. And of course, all this um, reaches its climax at, on Christmas Eve with the, uh, the midnight mass or mass at night. And then they also, in these different countries, they have special uh, food for Christmas, really delicious at the post that, the, uh,
0: that they have. So anyhow, it's a great time of year. Yeah. yeah. Mentioning Christmas Eve, we have a unique situation this year of the fourth Sunday of Advent being on Christmas Eve. So the obligation just to remind people would be to go Sunday morning and Sunday night. Sunday morning would be your fourth Sunday in Advent. Sunday night would be your Christmas or a Saturday night would yeah. be your your, fo- your your Sunday. Sunday evening. And then, yeah. then uh, you can go either right. well, Sunday yeah, night you can or go, Sunday morning.
1: Yeah. Or Monday morning, rather. Monday morning, yeah. I mean, I think the various options, I, I just encourage everyone to make sure they're fulfilling their obligation and don't try to combine it into one. Right. We need to go to two different Masses. And as you said, Kyle, the choice is for Sunday, you can go Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And for Christmas, you can go either Sunday evening or Monday morning. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, the custom now, a lot of people go Christmas Eve in the evening at night. So they may wanna to choose to go to the Saturday evening mass mm-hmm. and and then the Sunday evening mass or if they want to go two day two times on the 24th they can they can go Sunday morning and Sunday evening Sunday morning for Sunday Sunday evening for Christmas uh-huh. but i think maybe some might want to even consider Christmas day mass yeah when i go to parishes you know the great majority of people go to mass Christmas eve and you don't see as many pe- many people on Christmas day mm-hmm. it might be easier this year to yeah. go on, to go on Christmas day yeah but
0: Everyone's free to choose whatever works best for themselves and for their families. And for those that aren't physically able to make it to mass, or if you'd like to attend mass and then also watch a mass on TV, you're going to be doing the. I'll be doing a TV
1: mass in Fort Wayne on um, Sunday morning. So that'll be the mass of the fourth Sunday of Advent. Okay. And then that evening I will have mass in the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception The last few years, I do evening prayer with the Franciscan Friars Minor and the Poor Sisters of St. Clair at 5 p.m. at St. Andrews as kind of a way to personally to begin my Christmas celebration. Hmm. And then I always love celebrating the Mass in the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception.
0: All right. Well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to... RedeemerRadio.com You can call or text The Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 And coming up We'll ask questions submitted by listeners Right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes I'm Kyle Hyman Asking questions that you have submitted Either on our website or by calling The Holy Cross College text line Leaving a message or texting us One of our listeners asked is there a difference between a pastor and a parochial vicar yes
1: everyone knows the pastor is the leader of a parish a priest a parochial vicar is an associate pastor and uh parochial vicar is is the term that's used in canon law okay um the word vicar means representative so the parochial vicar is the associate who helps the pastor who assists the pastor in priestly ministry in the parish
0: so it's the same thing associate pastor and parochial, parochial vicar, vicar are, are the same, same thing. thing yep and if you would have three priests one would be the pastor and two would be associates correct or parochial vicar paro-
1: two could be parochial vicars. sometimes you have a priest who's neither but lives there and he's just a priest in residence oh, okay but usually a priest in residence could be retired or could be a chaplain at a hospital who's not really assigned to do parish work but is assigned to be a chaplain somewhere so he would not be a parochial vicar he would just be a priest in, in residence and his assignment would be as chaplain somewhere
0: all right one of the parishioners at saint charles baromeo said i recently visited our new divine mercy funeral home and had this question can a catholic be cremated and not have their ashes buried no the church is very clear in allowing cremation
1: that the ashes need to be buried it isn't proper or respectful to the dignity of the human body that um, ashes be kept in a home or or worse divided and separated into different pieces to be given to different family members or one of the worst things is is put in jewelry and stuff i hmm. mean things like that no that's all against the, the the discipline of the church we have great respect for human remains and they should be buried
0: okay another question was following up on the recent yoga question what are your thoughts on soul core coming back to our diocese soul core is a program for anyone 12 years and older that pairs core strengthening stretching, and functional movement with the prayers of the rosary, and the rosary is more important now than ever. I was sad to hear of the diocesan decision to no longer support SoulCorp unless private insurance was obtained by the instructor. However, the Indianapolis Diocese still has SoulCorp programs and is being taught throughout the United States. Is there a way we can bring it back to our diocese without the private insurance requirement? Well, you know, I
1: really don't know the answer to that question, and um, the questioner said that there was a diocesan decision to no longer support it unless the instructor has private insurance. You know what? I'm not not even aware of that. Some decisions are made in the diocese that the bishop doesn't know about (laughs) that are made at other levels, so I'm not quite sure. Maybe an inquiry could be made to the vicar general. I imagine if that's the case, there must be some reason why the diocese is requiring private insurance but i could only speculate i really don't know okay
0: well if you have questions you can ask them by going to redeemerradiocom ask bishop you can call or text the holy cross college text line at 260-436-9598 and more of your questions are coming up right here on truth and charity with bishop rhodes brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you've submitted. And someone asked, What would be a good response to a Protestant friend who believes Catholics are cannibals because we believe that we eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus? The obvious passages in John have been shared with no avail, except for them to say, If that is what Jesus truly meant, then that was the only time when he was here. But what makes you think it's happening today?
1: You know, um, some weeks ago, Kyle, we're on this program. You and I talked about the Catholic teaching of transubstantiation, correct? And maybe some of the listeners who are listening now remember when we had that discussion. So Mm -hmm. that's how I, I think that's important as a way to answer this this question about accusations of cannibalism. I think the best way to answer is that when we receive Holy Communion, yes we are receiving the body and blood of the Lord, the flesh and blood of the Lord. But remember, when we talk about transubstantiation, there's not a change in the accidents. In other words, it is truly and substantially and really the flesh and blood of Christ, but it's under the form of bread and wine. In other words, the accidents don't change. So cannibalism would be eating the flesh of one's own species Mm -hmm. under the form of flesh. Well, when we receive Holy Communion, we eat the flesh of Christ, but not under the form of flesh. It's under the form of bread. That's the sacramental sign. Okay, that's the accidents. Same with the blood we drink the blood of christ under the form of wine it is substantially the blood of christ but we receive it under the form of wine so it's not cannibalism because cannibalism
0: would be receiving it under the form of flesh or blood and if you miss that you can go back to the november 22nd show that's where you talked about transubstantiation. Uh, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop, or you can open up the Redeemer Radio app and go to the audio library and just scroll down till you get to the November 22nd show. Angie Lingenfelter from St. Therese Littleflower in South Bend said, Some churches have the tabernacle centered near the altar. Others have it placed to the side or in an alcove. Is there a required or suggested location, or is it up to each pastor?
1: Thank you, Angie. That, that question does come up from time to time. If you look at the church documents and liturgical documents, they talk about the location of the tabernacle. So after the Second Vatican Council, I mean, all the documents said it, that the tabernacle should be in a prominent place. And it was allowed for the Blessed Sacrament to be reserved in a chapel attached to the church. And that happened in a number of places. Or it could be reserved on the main altar, a side altar, as long as it was prominent. Okay. As time went on, it was recognized in a lot of places that where it was reserved in a separate chapel, there was something missing in the main body. You know, people would come to church and like before mass or during and and there wouldn't be. The blessed sacrament reserved in the main body of the church and a lot of people certainly miss that so in the in the United States in many places the bishops looking at this again many bishops including Bishop Darcy before me and I believe the same thing have um, stipulated that no we want the Holy Eucharist to be in the main body of the church and that is left to the bishops by the way and I think it's very common now a lot of bishops have said there might be a few places where you have a separate Eucharistic chapel, maybe like a, a big church like you look at Saint Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh-huh. all these tourists coming in and everything else. So so they have the whole Eucharist reserved in a separate chapel. Okay. It's more respectful. But in most of our parish churches, you know, we don't have tourists roaming around. It's the, the house of worship for the yeah. parish community. So Bishop Darcy asked the pastors to be sure that the Holy Eucharist is, is reserved in the main body of the church, preferably at a central location. And I agree with that. So we have a lot of our parishes where once the Holy Eucharist was reserved on a side altar, where they're now, the tabernacle is in the center, which I think is is a really good thing. I remember when I was Bishop of Harrisburg, the tabernacle was on the side and the bishop's chair was in the middle. Hmm. I never liked that. I thought, I, I don't want to be the center of the focus. Jesus should be here. So I had it changed. We had a restoration, a renovation of the cathedral and moved the tabernacle back to the center and then the bishop's chair, the cathedra, off to the side. Okay. So the norm in our diocese is that um, the Eucharist be reserved in a tabernacle in the main church, preferably in the center. But I think most important in all of this is we want to make sure that the tabernacle is uh, in a in a worthy place and that the holy eucharist receives the greatest honor and i think when you have the tabernacle in such a dignified central place it fosters adoration before the lord who is really present in the blessed sacrament
0: all right Thank you so much for sharing with us again today and answering some of our questions. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our
1: help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you, Kyle. Merry Christmas, everybody.
2: Tune in next Wednesday at noon for an all-new episode of Truth in Charity. We'll be celebrating Christmas and all the special saints whose feast days fall within the Christmas octave. Then Bishop and Kyle will make a friendly wager over who will win that evening's Cupertino Classic. Then it's on to questions submitted by listeners. To submit your question, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.